This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to literary treks our dedicated books and comic show i am just one of the hosts here and with me uh well i'm, I'm matthew rushing as as you all know i was just so uh, eager to get to my other hosts because i'm just so excited to be here with them tonight uh, and probably because i'm geeking out because our feature is is Going to be beyond brilliant, uh, Dan Bruce. Please just save me uh, for myself because I'm I'm just uh, foot in mouth, uh, stumbling everywhere. What's going on? Oh man, Dan! I don't think I've ever heard Matthew like this before. It's it's a little worrisome. Uh, he's kind of oscillating at a frequency that makes him all blurry on my screen. Uh, but I totally know how he feels. I found out who we were going to be talking to tonight. And I didn't really hear anything come out of my mouth, but dogs all over the neighborhood started barking. I am so excited. <laughs> well, we'll uh, we'll stop teasing it. I'm, I'm Michael and Denise Akuda are going to be here to talk about the brand new Star Trek Encyclopedia. And I'm so excited to be able to talk to them. Trek legends, really. And uh, just as you can tell, we are all geeking out. But maybe we're also geeking out because, well, guys... We get to judge some books by their cover. Judging books by the covers. We're going to do it tonight. Oh, I no, figured everybody happened. needed a song because I'm leaving. It's right. Oh, God, he's got a backbeat now. What's going on? Help. I've oh, always wanted gosh. to do that with him. That's great. Oh, I can't man. wait for our new album to come out. Uh, it's going to be great. Bruce and I have been working on some sweet jams. The, the first track, as you just heard, is Judging a Book by Its Cover. And guys, um, I think I, I think it's safe to say that both of these will be getting the stamps of approval. But first cover we've got is Face of the Unknown, the brand new Christopher L. Bennett book that's going to be coming out next year. Uh, actually, uh, it'll be the very end of December here, but they consider that January. And um, wow, I, I don't recall seeing a cover this vibrant in a really long time. And I mean that in the best possible way. Yeah, it's really bright. We've got uh, kind of this purpley blue Baylock puppet from the Corbobite maneuver in the background and really, really bright First Federation ship and these weird little kind of diamond ships flying around as well. Somebody, I was talking to somebody about this cover and they weren't a big fan because they felt the colors clashed. But I don't know. This really stands out to me. I think it's going to look really cool on a bookshelf. 
It definitely looks like a sequel to the Corbinite Maneuver, uh, as you said, with all the images that are represented there. But uh, it's it's very much original series looking because of that. And I, it, it just pops. I think we were saying because of those colors, it just pops. So it, it makes you want to go, hmm, what's in here? Because this looks like something very interesting. And so I'm ready. Let's read it two days after Christmas. It comes out and I'll be asking Santa to make another trip down the chimney on that day. Well, all I got to say is that uh, he better bring some Tranya with him uh, so I can sit back and drink that while I'm reading this book. And I am super excited. Uh, we also got the blurb here, and it it sounds great. Dan, uh, let everybody know what we've got coming here with Face of the Unknown. Investigating a series of violent raids by a mysterious predatory species, Captain James T. Kirk discovers that these events share a startling connection with the First Federation, a friendly but secretive civilization contacted early in the USS Enterprise's five-year mission. Traveling to the First Federation in search of answers, the Enterprise suddenly comes under attack from these strange marauders. Seeking refuge, the starship finds its way to the true home of the First Federation, an astonishing collection of worlds hidden from the galaxy beyond. The inhabitants of this isolated realm are wary of outsiders, and some accuse Kirk and his crew for bringing the wrath of their ancient enemy down upon them. When an attempt to stave off disaster grows tragically wrong, Kirk is held fully accountable, and Commander Spock learns there are even deeper forces that threaten this civilization. If Kirk and Spock cannot convince the First Federation's leaders to overcome their fears, the resulting catastrophe could doom them all. All right, vote. Stamp of approval, Dan? Uh, that gets a big ol' hell yeah from me. <laughs> Bruce, that gives a big ol' yeehaw from me. <laughs> and I, I got you. I got you both. Uh, yeah, stamps all round. That's, oh man, this this sounds fantastic. And guys, not only that, but, uh, you know, we were just talking to Dayton not that long ago, and his newest book coming out, Headlong Flight, also has a brand new cover, which, wow, wow. I mean, this cover's got a beautiful nebula, a planet, two Enterprises, the Enterprise D, Enterprise E, and a Romulan bird of prey. It is just a gorgeous, beautiful cover. I'm I'm really excited about this. Yeah, this one, I it's absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's got that beautiful purple nebula in the background. Some of my absolute favorite starships, like you said, the D and the E, together on the cover. Uh, what could that mean? Maybe something time travely. Maybe something more just representative. Like we recently got the Enterprise A and E together. On, on the Prey cover, maybe it's something like that. But throw into that mix, we've also got a TOS-era Romulan Bird of Prey. So what's going on there? I mean, this uh, this has me really excited. I always like the covers that have ships on them. Like, this is a cover that is specifically featuring the ships. And it's the kind of cover that I always wish I could have as a poster mm -hmm. because I like the ships represented on there. So anytime uh, these books come out that with a nice big ship cover I, I i just i just think that they're beautiful they're they're really nice well this one's exciting the blurb says surveying a nebula as part of their continuing exploration of the previously uncharted odyssean pass captain john luke picard and the crew of the uss enterprise encounter a rogue planet 
remember what happened the last time an Enterprise captain in Rogue Planet? Hmm. Life signs are detected on the barren world surface, and then a garbled message is received. A partial warning to stay away at all costs. Determined to render assistance, Picard dispatches Commander Worf and an away team to investigate. But their shuttle craft is forced to make an emergency landing on the surface moments before all contact is lost and the planet completely disappears. Worf and his away team learn that a mysterious world is locked in an unending succession of random jumps between dimensions. Wow, that sounds like it would cause vertigo. The result of an ambitious experiment gone awry. The Enterprise crew and the alien scientists who created the technology behind this astonishing feat find themselves trapped, powerless to break the cycle. Meanwhile, as the planet continues to fade in and out of their planes of existence, other parties have now taken notice. Stamp. Agreed. Absolutely. Other parties, I'm thinking Romulans, gonna come and mess up the Enterprise crew. Ah, man, this looks great. This sounds great. I'm all over it. Sounds like my kind of book, but all Star Trek books are, but this definitely is. It's I, I love these kind of, these shifts in dimensions and, and time and stuff. That's I don't know why. I just really love those. Well, we've got two stamps of approval here for book covers and their blurbs. So excited to have these come out. We've got the Akutas coming up on the feature. And they get my stamp of approval, too. Yes, <laughs> they definitely get our stamp Absolutely. of approval. But before we jump into that, of course, remember that you can find all of our shows, including Literary Treks, on iTunes.com slash TrekFM, as well as many other places where you can get your podcast. Go check them out. Google Podcasts, Stitcher. All of these different places. But if you're over there on iTunes, give us a star rating and review. It really helps our show grow. And we really appreciate everybody who's already done that. And goodness, it's been a while since we've gotten a review. And we'd love to know what you're thinking about the show. And of course, uh, having the opportunity to help us out and help the show grow. You can also find us on Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. We've got our listeners-only discussion group you can find, which is fantastic at the Babel Conference. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook. Or, of course, if you're on our website at trek.fm, just hit discussion on the menu bar. We've got our Goodreads group, which is a fantastic place for you to see what's coming up. You can also see what we've done. You can talk to other fans. It's great. Just search Literary Treks there at Goodreads. And then, of course, you can Contact us over email. Go to trek.fm slash contact. You can choose a show, choose Literary Treks, and that'll come straight to Dan, Bruce, and I. Well, guys, I, I let's jump into the feature. Dan and Bruce, I have to say, in the five years of doing Literary Treks, this moment may be the biggest moment, and that is because we are welcoming to the show Michael and Denise Okuda to talk about their brand new work, the newly revised Star Trek Encyclopedia. Michael and Denise, welcome to Literary Treks. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Such a huge pleasure to have you guys on. We really appreciate it. Well, we are happy to be here and uh, very excited that the book is finally, finally out. Yes. You bring a lot of weight to our show and to the book. <laughs> Yeah, it's a heavy sucker. It's 11 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Have y'all been working out with it at home? Uh, we should be. We, no, no, but uh, we absolutely could be. I mean, it's heavy enough. 
<laughs> well, that that really brings me to, I think, the first question that I had. You know, the last encyclopedia that was out was about midway through Voyager's fifth season, and that's the last time that we saw anything. So really wondering how this project came about with Harper Design to go back after all of these years and revisit the idea of an updated Star Trek encyclopedia. Well, you know, after the last, after the 1999 update, uh, the book industry has changed a lot. So over the years, one of the questions we got most often from uh, Star Trek fans was, is there ever going to be another Star Trek encyclopedia? And we would kind of, well, uh, sure, we'd love to see it. But the truth is, we honestly never, ever thought that it would happen. Yeah, we really didn't. I mean, it had been so long. And um, like Mike said, uh, the, the publishing industry has just changed so much. And uh, we would get the question asked at Star Trek conventions all the time when you're coming out with an updated encyclopedia. And we'd give the same answer. And uh, so we were really, really, quite frankly, shocked when John Van Sitters of CBS Consumer Products said, um, hey, guys, this is really going to happen. Um, you know, what are you doing for the next two years? And he wasn't kidding. It took us two years to write. Um, and things got worked out and we started to work. So what was that process like? Because obviously, I mean, there's a lot of information that wasn't in that uh, last edition. And there's been a lot added to a lot of the different entries. And so what was that process like, those two years of compiling all that information and, and trying to put all this together in a way where, I mean, we're covering the end of Voyager, Enterprise, Kelvin timeline stuff. Uh, I mean, and, and the end of Deep Space Nine. Don't forget the and end of Deep Space, Space Nine. Nine. Yeah, you're right. So actually, we even before we actually agreed to do the book, once we, cut, we realized we were probably going to do it, we immediately started, even, even before we officially said yes. Don't tell them that, Don't though. Don't tell them that. <laughs> we spent about two months. Uh, uh, the first thing we did was we, we took the 1997 edition and the 1999 addendum and we, we merged the two. That actually took a couple of months. And then, believe it or not, it took close to a month to just to dig through our garage and find all the old scripts and, and put them all in folders and things. And uh, th that, it sounds mundane, but it's, uh, it, was, it, was, it was very necessary groundwork. Once we had all that done, then we hit the ground running. Um, yeah, and our house kind of became the library. We have all of our scripts. Uh, from working on the shows and the various incarnations, they're in these tubs and they're by by show and by season. And so they were lined up and they were lined up throughout the house, somewhere in the dining room, somewhere in the sunroom. I mean, they were all over the place, but we knew where to go. And uh, once we got that all organized, then the work comes where you take the script and you correct to air, which means you watch the aired episode and you correct the script to what you saw on the screen. And that alone is a huge process. And we had to do that for all of the episodes and the movies that we had not covered in the 1999 edition. One of the things that we try to do is, is uh, we take the position that the Star Trek universe is real and that what you see on the air is actually what happened. So uh, you look at the episodes and you try to figure out from what's, what's said and what's, uh, what's shown, what's the evidence of what actually happened. So 
having the actual dialogue was, was hugely useful, but that was a huge task. And when we did the math, we, we figured, you know, we're not even sure that we can do that in time. So um, John Van Titters and Marion Cordray from uh, CBS Consumer Products said, they just raised their hands and said, we'll help. So uh, John is the vice president of product development for, uh, for, for CBS. And he, to, to have him just pitching in and uh, just shows you the kind of commitment that, it, that the uh, team had. It sounds like a pretty incredibly epic project. I mean, you know, it's a lot of work uh, going through all of that. Um, I was wondering, is there kind of a point where, like, for Star Trek fans like us, I feel like that would be just the ultimate dream job. Did it ever feel like, you know, more work than fun or more fun than work while you guys were doing this? Well, yeah, of course. Um, we had done this before. I mean, we've done a couple of different iterations of the Star Trek Encyclopedia. And so we knew how much work it was going to be. And we knew that we were going to basically sequester ourselves in our house and work very hard. We were given, you know, two years approximately. And we, we knew that, and that's why we started working before all the details was, were worked out, is that this was going to be an all-consuming uh, adventure. And of course it was fun. I mean, we loved Star Trek and it was fun to, to watch the episodes and trip down memory lane and, you know, remember making the episode and so forth. But it's just like any other project that you undertake. Um, we entered it treating it like a research project, like you would do a thesis um, or, or a research project for college. And that's pretty much how we approached it. So yeah, it was fun. Uh, it was fun material, but it, it was also a lot of work. So a little bit of both, you know, but we kept each other going. We're, Mike and I are a really good team together in, in everything that we do. And so if one person was feeling overwhelmed, the other person kind of stepped up to the plate and, and, um, and we work, we work well together. So that's, that's wonderful. So what does, uh, you know, a, a day in the life of Michael and Denise Okuda working on this look like and how y'all tag team back and forth with things? What would a typical day look like with all of this research? The the, uh, the nature of the project morphs over the over the course of the project. At the very at the very beginning, it was as as I said, uh, uh, merging the, the the two volumes or the the original text and uh, just collating scripts. But uh, normally, uh, uh, I'm a night owl. Denise is a morning person, so she wakes up and starts working. And by the time I get up, she's uh, she's already been working for a couple of hours. Yeah, and. Um... Then toward the end, the beginning of the project is you know is, is organization and um, and and research, and then once we got to the point where we could felt like we could start prioritizing and writing definitions, then pretty much filters through Michael. Mike, there has to be one voice, and so Michael would pretty much start writing the definitions, and I would continue to do the research and set up things so that they were easier to coalesce and write a brief, succinct definition, which is actually really hard to do. It's hard to do something, um, take the essence of what you're writing and synthesize it down into a coherent definition. And um, you kind of have to get into the into a, a mindset. And once you get into that mindset, you just 
just keep working. So y'all are a lot like Dory. Just keep working. Just keep working. Well, Dory is one of our favorite fish, so there you go. <laughs> well, I, so I'm imagining, I, I know you guys have worked on Star Trek for such a long time, but I'm imagining there were some things that you guys came across that maybe surprised you or, or were very fun for you. Oh, that's what that was. Were, was there anything that you can think of offhand that you feel like you almost learned for maybe the first time or really stuck out to you as like, oh, man, I just completely forgot that that's the way that was? Well, you know, uh, the the previous encyclopedia really covered only the first third of the seventh season of DS9. So we pretty much we, we actually had very little coverage of the, of the Dominion War. So to go back and real and trip down memory lane and go, oh my God, this was this was an epic tale of of battles and betrayals and alliances and growth and all this sort of thing, and to experience that through the eyes of these characters that we once lived with so closely, but we we haven't been with them for uh, quite a few years, that that was an enormous amount of fun, and in a in a similar way. Uh, getting to relive the last two years of Voyager, plus the entirety of uh, of Enterprise, that really was fun. Yeah, it, it was kind of melancholy in a way, though, because we miss our friends, and of course we miss we miss those times very much. It was a very magical time in our lives, and thankfully we didn't take it for granted when we were working. So, but we did get to relive to relive those, not just the episodes, but uh, um, but all those friends in the production family. Well, it amazes me the amount of detail that is in here. Now, I have the previous versions of the encyclopedia, so this is very similar to that in the detail, but I forgot how much detail. And when I say detail, I mean even down to what movie night is on the Enterprise. I mean, you even list all the movies they watched. Like, how do you decide to go that deep into everything? Because it sounds like you just picked apart every little piece of nuggets and information you can get and just... Put it all in here. Well, as Denise was saying, uh, part of it really, part of the challenge really is to boil things down to as to its purest essence. But when you do it, you try to say, you know, what's fun? Uh, movie night is kind of a goofy concept, but it was fun. So we we treat we took it seriously, and and we think the taking of it seriously and and showing it in a certain amount of detail. We think that makes it a fun way to explore the Star Trek universe. And also because we love Star Trek and we feel a kinship to others that love Trek as well, we kind of said, well, what would, what would we like to read about? What would we like to take away from this episode? And hopefully it translated into things that people that read the book enjoy as well. So what were your favorite entries into this new encyclopedia? For me, I think my favorite uh, entries were the compilations of illustrations, the collection of all the symbols, the collection of the ships, the collection of the uniforms, the collection of, of the insignia, the collection of the dedication plaques, because you kind of look over two or three pages and you get a sense of this, of the amazing scope, the, uh, the, the vista of, uh, of the Star Trek adventure for the past literally half century. You, you see how the phaser is evolved you see this amazing range of uh, of starfleet uniforms and the tremendous variety of ships i i just think that just it's just a 
fun way to explore the entire universe in, in what, one quick glance. I also thought, um, I mean, I agree with Michael. I, I, I love the illustrations and, and, and so forth. But also when it was done, there was a satisfaction that we had caught up um, and that folks that came in perhaps that had gone and see, seen the, the Abrams films um, and were discovering that there was so much more to, to enjoy that they might use the encyclopedia to begin that journey or to take it along with them on that journey. So it's, it's richer. And, and so I feel a, I think we feel a satisfaction that we, we did it, it's done. And hopefully the book will now go on and have a life of its own. Which really is something that I wanted to ask you guys about because, um, we added not just, you know, uh, the rest of Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. Of course, we're incorporating the Kelvin timeline. And so wanted to talk up with you guys about adding that into the encyclopedia as well as how did y'all come to the idea of electing to call it the Kelvin timeline in the first place? Well, we wanted to include uh, the material from Abrams films simply because the Abrams films brought so many people into into Star Trek fandom, and we wanted to make mm, sure that, that they felt represented um, uh, in the book. Uh, and yeah, that was an interesting challenge. We uh, uh, we said, what do what do you call it? Because the people in the Kelvin timeline don't, to them, they they don't know they're in a different timeline. And of course, the people in the uh, original timeline, they they don't know that the Kelvin Kelvin timeline exists except for Spock. So we watched both films very carefully and said what what would they call it what it what and we realized there really wasn't anything so we said well maybe we'll call it name it for the star that exploded in the in the first picture because that's that was what the uh that, that was the event that triggered everything and so we we went back and we checked the script we watched the film and to our surprise the star had no name to our considerable frustration. Yeah, and we asked John Vensitters at CBS Consumer Products, well, what do you guys call it? And he goes, well, we really don't have a name. Um, you know, suggest something. So, so we, uh, we realized that the, uh, we actually came up with a, with a, uh, with a whole bunch of, of, of candidates. And uh, one of the candidates was the Hobus timeline because that was the name of the star. But that name came from a graphic novel. So if you, even if you watched movies very carefully, you wouldn't know that. So we would have to footnote that every time it occurred. That was kind of a... Yeah, so um, that, that quickly went out the door. But eventually we settled on Kelvin Timeline because most people who've seen the films will, uh, will know that. No, we, we, uh, and we're, and we're, we're really uh, happy that uh, fandom in general seems to have adopted the term. And CBS Consumer Products liked it, in fact, they released that to their licensees even before the encyclopedia came out. I remember uh, reading something, uh, a licensee had written something about a product they were doing and they called it the, uh, the Kelvin Timeline. And I said, oh, wow, it's out there already. I was so thrilled because I did not like calling it the JJ universe or verse or whatever. I was just so thrilled when I heard that announcement. Nobody did. Because it's not really Star Trek. It doesn't feel Star Trek because, like you said, it's not in-universe. And now that we have this, it, it feels more in-universe. Right. And I like the way it's represented in the book, too, with the, with the bullet. 
we we wanted to show that the Kelvin timeline is as valid an alternate timeline as say the mirror universe or the universe in which uh, um, Edith Keller wasn't wasn't killed or the uh, alternate 31st century from Enterprise. All the, all those things uh, they are in their own sake valid timeline. Yeah, it's interesting also because the as I mentioned the the you have a bullet after anything that is in the Kelvin timeline. There's a bullet after the the word or the phrase. Except then I noticed that Nero, even though Nero is in those movies or in the first movie, there's no bullet next to his name because he really existed in the prime timeline. So I caught that. That was quite interesting. Yeah. So I that's just the attention to detail that we're talking about. I thought that was genius. Thank you. Uh, we went back and forth on that we, quite a lot. We worked really hard. We watched the movies several times and took notes. Well, one thing that's interesting to me, especially with talking about the Kelvin timeline, is uh, the question of Star Trek Beyond. So um, I understand it It kind of just missed the um, cutoff point of being able to be included, was there kind of any attempt to try and get Star Trek Beyond included in this encyclopedia? At the very beginning, we uh, we, we we sent an inquiry and said, "Can we get an advanced copy of the script? You know, so we can at least uh, start to work it in." And we actually had to work quite far in advance. So there, uh, there was just no way. There was, there was just yeah. no way. Even if we had an early copy, uh, as you probably know, shooting scripts often change uh, by the final cut. So if we put anything in it, we, you're always running the, uh, the the risk that you're going to be wrong because something will change. Yeah. Well, and that, that makes so much sense, especially with what we know about Beyond in the first place, that behind the scenes, there were a lot of changes that happened with the script. So yeah. what you guys oh, may have common. gotten in the... Yeah. Well, and, our, and our, our, our mantra is always to take what the audience saw to take the aired episode or the final released uh, feature film and take the script and correct it to air. So um, what you saw on the screen will translate into a history that is the Star Trek encyclopedia. And so uh, Beyond hadn't been released either. So it, it was out of the question. We just couldn't put it in. For both of you uh, working on this, what was the thought process behind the animated series for the encyclopedia? Uh, it's our understanding that uh, Gene Roddenberry wanted, uh, did not want the uh, animated series included in products like this. So we're, we're simply trying to follow his wishes as we understand them. Um, another aspect, we're kind of known as the uh, Star Trek Books and Comics podcast on the network. So it, we kind of have to add, ask this question. Um, regarding the canon of various things uh was there ever any thought to anything out of the novels or comics or anything like that uh given for a project such as this um no never because our uh, our whole thought processes our whole um research modality was again what you saw aired on television or motion pictures and so we stuck to that that's pretty much, pretty much. Pretty much stuck to that script and uh, and didn't include anything but what had been aired. It's not it's not that we don't like the novel. Certainly, um, quite quite a number of uh, of the uh, of the novelists are good friends of ours, and uh, quite frankly, we are hoping that that the book 
will be of use to them because uh, the book now reflects their source material. That is, their their books are based on on the television series and movies, and we're hoping that that this will serve as a reference to them. Well, I'm just glad that you didn't include the novels and comics because then uh, this book probably would come out 20 years from now because you would need a lot of time to put that information in and it would be much too heavy to carry. Be about 50 pounds as opposed to 11. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, you got that right. And people would be be complaining about about the six volume set. (laughs) (laughs) And the price. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that. For you guys, uh, you know, there was such a long time between when, you know, the last one came out and this one came out. And I know how excited you both were to be able to be given this opportunity again. Have y'all given any thought to what you will do with maybe wanting to update in the future with Discovery coming out, with other films coming out in the Kelvin timeline and, and how you might want to move forward, especially with like whether or not it might be um, easier for publishing, if it's in a digital format, any thought process to that? Well, a lot of it, that's, that's principally in the hands of the publishers. They, uh, they have very smart people who crunch numbers and look at markets and look at, at what media medium does this and what, and what format does that. And they pretty much tell us what, uh, what what they what they think will work best for them. So it's really in their hands. It is in their hands, but we also, you know, Mike and I have to look at it. It's a great commitment. It took us two years, and during those two years, like I said, we pretty much did this, and that's it. And so we, you know, we have to, as much as we like to do it, we have to think long and hard. You know, is this something we want to do again? Is it is it something that needs to be updated in two years? You know, really, who knows? But we've been so blessed with work and so blessed to, to work on uh, Star Trek projects. We just finished a huge project called the Roddenberry Vault, which is coming out in December. And it's lost footage from the original series weaved into new documentaries and we've worked on that for the last year and we just wrapped on that October 4th. So we kind of have to take a deep breath <laughs> and Oh uh, goodness, yes. And before we move forward. Well, tell us a little bit more about the Roddenberry Vaults and and just uh, your work there and and of course when that'll be available and where people will be able to see it because that's a, oh, I can't that I'm I'm geeking out right now. That's awesome. That's okay. We geeked out a lot. <laughs> it turns out, uh, it turns out that uh, back in the day, back in the '60s, Gene Roddenberry actually held on to quite a lot of the uh, the, the the film that was that was uh, discarded on the editorial cutting room floor, and uh, that was not generally known. We we certainly didn't know it until about what nine, nine years, years ago. ago. About nine years ago, we got a call from um, uh, Roddenberry Productions. You know, we know uh, we know uh, Rod, and they gave us a call and said, uh, "Would you meet us at this location?" We went down there, secret location, secret location, yeah, <laughs> truly. Um, and uh, we had to sign a non-disclosure before we even were led into the building, and we were led down this long uh, hallway into this room with rows and rows and rows of boxes and rows and rows of film cans. And they basically, and, and Rod basically said, 
my dad would go into uh, editorial and pick up the discarded pieces of film that had ended up on the cutting room floor and it had been squirreled away. So, so Roddenberry Productions and CBS asked us to, to go through and catalog all the film. Which took three years. About three years. About three years. And, and at the end of that, uh, again, Roddenberry Productions and uh, CBS Home Entertainment, they, uh, they brought in a good friend of ours, Roger Lay. He's an amazing filmmaker. Uh, and uh, you probably have seen some of his work. He did some of those great documentaries for the HD uh, releases of Star Trek The Next Generation and uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Mm, great stuff. Yeah, and uh, they brought him in and we worked with him to try to figure out how can we present this uh, this material? How can we show? How can we use it to show things ab- uh, about the original series that are enlightening and interesting? And uh, what we ended up doing was selecting twelve episodes. And the twelve episodes were based on what we thought were the best clips, um, or some of the best clips that we had. Most of the stuff, to be quite frankly, is they're not very many whole scenes um it's mostly snippets um but at the same time when you look at that stuff this is these are little pieces of star trek you've never seen oh my goodness it's yes a, it's a uh, it you might know the scene but shatner delivers it differently or there's the moment before the camera rolls or it's a moment after the camera rolls or there's uh there's a different inflection and if you know the show and a lot of people do it's like a whole new window into the show. Yeah, and Michael and I um, would we would get the we would get a DVD with the footage that that had been uh, converted to video, telecinated to video, and we would the first thing we would do is just watch it. And because we know the show so well, and it's one of those things, you know, you're when you were growing up, your parents probably said if you you know did your homework like you new Star Trek, you'd be get straight A's. And we know, we know dialogue pretty well. And so we would just watch this stuff. And it was like being a, sometimes it was like being a fly on the wall because, you know, you see the actors standing around and then they, they get into character and um, the slate comes in and action. And there's a lot of that. So anyway, you can tell we're very excited about this. Yeah. So uh, we work with Roger, uh, to construct these new documentaries, we interviewed a lot of amazing people. We interviewed uh, Dorothy Fontana, David uh, David Gerald, Bill Shatner, um, uh, Adam Nimoy. Uh, uh, we and and William Shatner. And I think uh, Bill Shatner gave us, I think, one of the best, if not the best, interview I've ever heard him give. He was generous. He was honest. It, it well. Uh, we can't wait for people to see this. It's going to be released December 13th, I believe. December 13th on Blu-ray. On Blu-ray, yeah. What was the, what were the reactions when they saw these clips, like Bill Shatner? I mean, I'm sure he, you know he hasn't seen these since, or he's probably never seen them when when these occurred. Most people were, uh, first of all, they, they were they were like us. Um, maybe they they're not into it quite as much as as we are. But everyone was going, oh, my God, I, 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 never, I never thought this stuff existed. And then you sh- uh, we would show, for example, a clip to, uh, to, to David Gerald, and, and he would say, oh, yeah, uh, they shot this, but they didn't use it. I kind of wish they, they did use that. 
Yeah, that was fun. Or Dorothy Fontana, you know, uh, she came in at three times uh, to be interviewed and, and go over things. And she was a wonderful wealth of information. And one of the episodes is the uh, is Metamorphosis, which happens to be my favorite episode. And we were able to interview Eleanor Donahue, who played um, Commissioner Hedford, Nancy Hedford. And then we flew up to Carmel, California, and we interviewed the 92-year-old director of uh, that episode and a couple of others, Ralph Sininsky. And in the documentary on Metamorphosis, we have those two individuals plus a couple more. Uh, then interwoven, we have these snippets and parts of scenes that you just either have never seen before or alternate takes. Um, Ralph Saninsky was incredibly generous to us. He gave, he talked to us all afternoon. Uh, you know, we were a little concerned that it had been 50 years and we were concerned he may not remember that much about, about his episode. And so Denise would say, let me ask you about an, about a scene. And he'd say, Oh yeah, yeah. We shot that on a Friday afternoon. It was it was getting late. He was amazing. He's ninety two years old. His memory, I think, is better than mine. Anyway, we're we're very excited about it. So two projects that we uh, we worked very hard on, and we're we're really really happy uh, are the the updated encyclopedia, and then the Roddenberry Vault coming out in December. Well, that sounds incredibly exciting. I I almost want to see a documentary of the making of the Roddenberry Vault because the stories you guys have sound really, really great. And I got to imagine this is going to be under a lot of Trekkies trees this Christmas. Hint, hint to anybody listening. <clears throat> there is a background we do in one of the, one of the documentaries is kind of how this project um, came about. And um, so it does give you background. It does give you, and then it, it also give you, gives you context. A lot of the, the clips, I mean, Star Trek fans, to a greater or lesser degree, will know this material, um, but some of it you have to be given, you know, context, and um, that hopefully is in there as well. So, and we're excited for everybody to see it. I mean, we have been under the secrecy of a, a non-disclosure for years. Know, years and years and years. I mean, we we couldn't tell anybody except for, of course, the people we're working with. So we have been jumping up and down dying to tell Star Trek fans about this because we have been so excited and so fortunate. Um, I mean, for crying out loud, this is stuff we've never seen before from the original series. And well, we can't wait. We cannot wait for everyone to see it. And now I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Thank you very much. I'm just so <laughs> excited now. <laughs> Well, that, that brings me to a really important question then uh, about where people will be able to get the Roddenberry Vault as well as where they can get the encyclopedia now. Uh, the Star Trek encyclopedia is available at uh, bookstores across the, across the planet. If your favorite bookstore doesn't have it, ask them. They can order it. Uh, or you can get it on, online. It's uh, quite a lot of uh, online retailers have it, so it's, uh, it's, it's not hard to find. The Roddenberry Vault will be distributed on Blu-ray from CBS Home Entertainment. Again, ask, uh, uh, get it from your favorite retailer, get it from your favorite online uh, online source. That's fantastic. And when was the release date for, because I'm writing that down right now for that that Blu-ray. <laughs> it's, De it's December 9th, uh, excuse me, December 13th. Excellent. Excellent. That is so fantastic. Well, uh, we... 
love that we've had you on the show. And I am so excited to get my hands on the encyclopedia because one, Bruce and Dan have been like texting me pictures of how (laughs) great some of the entries are. My favorite personally is the 602 Club uh, because that's the name of my other podcast. And oh, there uh, you go. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, if uh, fans who are listening would like to get in touch with both of you to talk about the encyclopedia, or and I mean, you guys are just such a wealth of of Star Trek knowledge. Where can people find you um, online? Search, search for Mike and Den- Michael and Denise Okuda on Facebook. Uh, search for us individually on Twitter, and uh, we don't absolutely promise to, to answer. We'll, but we do our best. To, sometimes we miss things. We're also going to be uh, attending two conventions in the not too distant future for the folks living in California. In Pasadena, California, um, we're going to be at LostCon, which is the 26th of, of November. And then there's the Creation Convention up in San Francisco, and that's December 9th, 10th, and 11th. And I believe we are going to be um, doing a panel on the Roddenberry Vault, which we will show kind of snippets of things uh on, on that Saturday on a panel on the Roddenberry Vault. And then, of course, we'd be happy to sign uh, encyclopedias if uh, yeah, okay. folks can bring 11 pounds or just bring one book. One, uh, <laughs> one correction. The uh, uh, Lost Con is at the Los Angeles uh, Airport Marriott. Oh, my bad. Awesome. That's fantastic, guys. It's kind of taking all my willpower not to log into some travel site and book tickets right now because that would be really cool. <laughs> oh, I'm doing that right now. As a matter of fact, Mike's going to sign one book and Denise, you're going to sign the other. <laughs> okay, that sounds, there you go. That sounds <laughs> fine. We, we really do enjoy doing conventions. We haven't had an opportunity to do many the last couple of years because we're so busy, but hopefully we'll be able to do some more in the coming year. Well, I have to say that as a Star Trek fan, I think you both have earned a well-earned drink at uh, the 602 Club to rest and relax after some incredible feats here with the Encyclopedia and with the Roddenberry Vault. Both of these things just sound like a treasure trove for Trek fans. And I think a lot of people are going to be finding these things under their tree. As Dan said, hint, hint uh, (laughs) to anybody who's listening But we just want to say a heartfelt thanks for all you have done for Star Trek over, you know, so many years of working on the shows and being so gracious as well with your time with us tonight. Well, we consider ourselves incredibly fortunate to be part of the Star Trek family, to be part of the group of people who have taken inspiration from Gene Roddenberry's vision of a better tomorrow. And that's the thing that unites all of us. And we kind of consider all Star Trek fans to to kind of be family. And I think that's one of the things that is just so much fun uh, when we get to talk to to people about, you know, um, the Star Trek Encyclopedia or the Roddenberry Fault. We're genuinely excited for everybody to see this stuff. By by the way, on Star Trek Enterprise, the uh, episode where we went to the 602 Club, uh, that was a really cool set. That was so much fun. We we put so many fun things on the wall there. We um, uh, I I I bought hundreds of dollars of NASA mission patches and put them on the wall. And uh, Jimmy Meese let me make up a whole bunch of new mission patches for things in the Star Trek universe that we put up there. John Eves put a lot of really cool sketches. I did a thing of the uh, of the Ringship Enterprise 
we designed menus and little uh, uh, drink coasters. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, it was a fun uh, episode to work on. So my question becomes, did, did either of you end up getting to take anything home from the 602 Club? <laughs> I grabbed one of the uh, drink coasters. That's awesome. I didn't That's take awesome. any. That's awesome. <laughs> <I didn't. laughs> we, honest to God, we don't have much from, I mean, when you're working, you just, you're so busy, you don't even really think about it. So we don't, we don't really have that much from the shows. I wish we had had some more stuff, but we don't. So I think I heard that you have more from the original series that you didn't, of course, work on than you do from the series you did work on. That's, that's pretty much correct. We have some um, original, uh, those data chips that they used on the original series. John Dwyer, who was a set decorator on, on, on the original series, also was the set decorator for um, Star Trek The Next Generation, the first season. And um, he brought up a, like a shoebox, not full, but a lot of them, because he knew we loved Trek, and he just gave them to us. So we're like, oh my goodness. And so, so for years, anyone who walked by my desk, I'd say, "Hey, do, uh, you want a, you want a microtape from the original series?" And so we uh, passed those. So we passed. Those. I mean, we gave a lot of them out to our friends that would appreciate them. But after a while, we went, "Uh oh, we better keep some for ourselves." So we have those on display, and we have um, we have original Matt Jeffrey's sketch of uh, Zephyr Cochran's house from Metamorphosis, which I treasure because, again, it's my favorite episode. Well, that was the question that I was going to ask. So, Denise, you have let slip what your favorite episode is. And I feel like I would be remiss that uh, this being the 50th anniversary. Michael, do you have a favorite episode from Star Trek? You know, that's a tough question. I sometimes I'll, I give it I give it different answers because it because it changes. That's I, I just feel like if I mention an episode, I'm. I'm leaving out 12 others that I love. I, we can tell you our favorite episode that we worked on, which Ooh, is yes, tri yes. Tri Trials and Tribulations, um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I had a feeling that would be the answer there. That is obviously such a huge labor of love, and everyone who's involved in that, you know, all these years later, uh, 20 years later, I guess, uh, it still sticks out as as just one of the great feats of Star Trek, and the fact that you guys had a hand in that—I mean, that's so cool. That was incredible. Uh, we had no blueprints. Yeah, blueprints. Uh, and we, we had very little time, so uh, uh, but we had VHS copies of episodes. So Doug Drexler would sit by the VHS for hours, and he would just uh, just we had a little video printer, and he'd make little prints. And uh, someone from construction would come up and say, wait, how is this built? Or the set designer who's drawing up the, the sets would go, wait, where, where was this? And so we, we were kind of information central. And everyone, even if they weren't necessarily Star Trek fans, they knew this was special. So they put extra into, into it, every single department. And if you can imagine your whole life watching Star Trek in the original series, do you ever think in a million trillion years you would get to walk down the corridors of the Enterprise? I sure didn't. But guess what? We did. So it was really, really cool. I still remember watching that episode live when it aired. And, uh, you know, it, it, it still has that same impact on me. 
uh, every time I watch it. There is such a sense of fun and enjoyment and excitement and nostalgia. And I mean, it's every great emotion that we have as human beings, I think, is poured into that episode. And I think it just shows. And I'm right there with you at both. I think <laughs> even just as a fan, that's if I'm just picking out an episode to watch, that's probably one of the top five I've seen the most <laughs> just because it's so enjoyable. One of the things I really love about that episode is to watch uh, Terry Farrell walk down the corridors just completely geeking out. And yes. Her character Dax is geeking out, but Terry's geeking out too. I mean, uh, we would talk to her uh, between takes and she, she was having a blast. And uh, we also got that, uh, we brought David Gerald down. So to have him geeking out in the corridors going, wow, this is exactly like what it was. Uh, we had so many visitors from the original series. We had Major Barrett came down, Walter Kane came down. Um, Dorothy Fontana came down, Bob Justin came down. Uh, 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 John Dwyer came down. Uh, John was very proud of the fact that in the original corridors, he had some pipes that were labeled with the letters GNDN, which stands for goes nowhere, does nothing. So he, he comes down the uh, corridor and, and he's kind of uh, gloating at me going, you missed something. You didn't have GNDN. And I, I, I said, no, John, you're wrong. So we walked to the far end of the corridor, opened the panel, and I said, there. So it was fun. <laughs> You can tell it's 20 years later and we're still glowing. I mean, it was just so much fun. Well, I am I'm so excited to see uh, what we have coming maybe in the next 50 years for Star Trek. And I hope and I know that I speak probably for every Star Trek fan that both of you will be involved with it somehow uh, and really appreciate all the work that you have done all the joy and excitement that you continue to give to fans with incredible things like the Psychopedia here that you've updated for all of us, and of course uh, the Roddenberry Vaults, which I, I can't wait to see myself. Thank you so much, Michael and Denise, for uh, allowing us to have a little bit of your time tonight and uh, for all the incredible work throughout the years. You're very welcome. This was great fun. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for being on the show. It probably just feels like I'm gushing at this point, but you know, the Star Trek universe is immeasurably better because of your guys' involvement in it. So thank you so very much. The Star Trek universe is rich because so many people have been inspired by Gene Roddenberry and so many people want to carry forth the, the tradition started by Gene and, and Bob Justman and Dorothy Fontana and all those things, all those people. So uh, we all share in that wonder. Well, I have to say that was an incredibly exciting discussion with Michael and Denise Akuda. Uh, I love the mark that these two have made on the Star Trek universe. And after talking with them, I kind of feel like Captain Picard having just visited a Promillion battlecruiser. That was absolutely thrilling. Wow. That sounded just like Captain Picard. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I hear your sarcasm. Um, uh, yeah, I know. I can't help myself. Hey, I just, I'll just say something now, kind of a little sweet. So when the encyclopedia originally came out in the nineties and the different editions, I wasn't married. I spent a lot of time just like sitting in my apartment, reading the encyclopedias. Now these new ones came out and 
I found myself reading one of the books while my wife was sitting next to me reading the other one and she was really getting into it. I was like, how cool. This is like taking me back years ago, but now I have someone to share this with. And so that's my little sweet story about the encyclopedia. So it means a lot to me that they actually were able to give us a new edition and it, it's so worth purchasing. I mean, I know it can be a lot of money, but save up those dollars and, uh, and get it because it, it's really a fun thing to just look through and read and just randomly pick out things. Well, it's fantastic that we were able to have them on the show. I, I just feel like that there is a life goal achieved, you know, bucket list item checked off. You know, it, it, it was wonderful. And hearing about all that they have been working on over the last few years, I cannot wait to get the encyclopedia and I cannot wait to get my hands on the Roddenberry vault. So just wonderful stuff coming up from them. And we really appreciate the fact that we get to do this each and every week because of all of the wonderful support on Patreon that we get. And we've got amazing associate producers, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shamatola, Bruce Gibson, and Norman Lau. Thank you so much for supporting the network and making sure that each and every one of these shows comes to all of the listeners every week. Now, we are a listener-supported network, and the best way that you can make sure that each and every one of the shows comes to everyone every week, go to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how just a little bit every single month helps make sure that that goal is reached. And we definitely have some other goals that we're trying to reach, so go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can become part of our team. Now, Bruce, uh, when you're not fighting with your wife over uh, who's going to get to read which volume of the encyclopedia these days, where can we find you? Well, when I'm not in the doghouse, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can also find me uh, talking Star Wars occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And uh, Dan, when you're not stealing coasters from the 602 Club, where can people find you? Well, you can find me showing off pictures of those coasters on Facebook at facebook.com slash Productions. I'm also on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions and on Twitter at Kurtratz. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And Matthew, when you're not sitting with boxes of Star Trek scripts trying to reconcile them with what you see on the screen in front of you, where can we find you? Oh, sorry guys, I'm I'm just so grossed in this. There's I, I've got oh uh uh oh I, I have a Twitter, but I really haven't been using it because of this. Uh, Matt Rushing Zero Two. Uh, you can also find me here on the network talking Deep Space Nine with Chris Jones. Uh, we've talked about trials and tribulations quite a bit. Of course, doing the Six O Two Club as we talked about with the Okudas here. Uh, Got the general geek show there for the network. It's so much fun talking about all the other fandoms that we love beyond Star Trek. And, of course, check out uh, the 602 Club Star Wars special feed. That's Star Wars The 602 Club Collection. We've got two great feeds for you there and amazing shows. I I've had some incredible people on as guests. And so, uh, in fact, just had John Champion back uh, this week to talk about James Bond again. And, of course, you can find me on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills. That's on the nerdparty.com or, of course, on iTunes under Aggressive, under Aggressive Negotiations. And it's a Star Wars podcast. We have a great time each week picking out just a random topic from the Star Wars universe and talking all about it. So be sure to join us there. Well, thank you 
so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.